It's Saturday at 12 noon. You know what that means. It's time to get weird, paranormal with your favorite podcast, the Mega Strange Podcast. Welcome, everybody. It is Derek and Johnny here. Hello. Feeling good. Today, we have a special episode for you. Today, we are talking about movies and curses, baby. Curses from cursed movies. Movies that have cursed people. And these curses have followed people around throughout their entire lives. What are you giggling at? Over I don't there? know. I'm just trying to get hype. Get hype, bro. Uh, yeah, last week we talked about music or uh, music conspiracy theories and urban legends. Yes. Yeah, myths and things like that. We're going to be continuing that trend this week, but we're going into filmmaking. We have a couple of crazy stories some of these uh, you people have probably heard of, others maybe not, but they're all going to be very interesting. What do you have for us today? Uh, this week I have stuff about, um, you know, certain sets that I think are actually cursed. Um, you know, The Crow. Right, okay. The Exorcist. Ooh, very and, cursed. And then I have a couple uh, of urban legends about the film industry, uh, maybe pertaining about uh, Stanley Kubrick. Okay. Faking uh, the moon landing, perhaps? Yeah, uh, some uh, Wizard of Oz stuff. Nice. And uh, that's about it. Well, I have, uh, for today's episode, a story about the filming of the movie The Omen, which some people say is a movie that, continuing with last week's tradition, the devil did not want them to make. And supposedly he cursed the set and everybody on it. I also have a story. If we're going to get biblical, then we have to talk about the 2004 smash hit, the highest grossing R-rated film of all time, The Passion of the Christ, and how the guy, the actor who mm. played Jesus Christ, Mr. Jim Caviezel, was definitely cursed on the set of that film. So many <laughs> bad things happened to him. We'll get into that, and then I also have a very, very juicy piece of American filmmaking legend and lore. We're going to talk about James Dean and his car. A car, a Porsche, a special kind of Porsche known as the Spider, with a Y, but more affectionately known as Little Bastard. <laughs> James Dean named his car Little, Little Bastard. Bastard. James Dean died in this car. Yep. But that's only where the curse began because the car went on to live in infamy and cause so much tragedy in its wake following that crash that it has famously been known as a cursed car. We're going to get into it. Sure. All that and more today on your episode of Mega Strange. Yeah, everybody. Woo! Round of applause. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. This is the Mega Strange Podcast where we talk about all things weird, paranormal, supernatural, urban legends, conspiracy theories, or, or just regular people who live strange and bizarre lives. Yes, Johnny, like professional <laughs> wrestlers, like billionaires, like YouTubers. We might want to do oh, a deep yeah. dive on YouTubers one day. We could talk about the Numa Numa guy. I would love to interview <laughs> the Numa, oh, Numa shit. guy. Someone get his contact info. Yeah, but today we're talking movie curses, so let's get into it. Yes. Um, let's talk about some of these cursed sets that you mentioned. What do you have for us to kick off today's show? Well, I wanted to talk about um, the movie The Crow. Okay. 
Have uh, you seen that movie? Yes. I love that movie. Yeah, me too. Well, that's a fun movie. I watched it fairly recently. It maybe it doesn't hold up. Yeah, but. <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. Here's why I love it, not yeah. because it's good per se, but because it is such a time capsule of the mid nineties. Yeah. And the the edginess and the gothness of it. It's almost like a precursor to the Matrix in a, in certain ways. Yeah. Aesthetically. And with the anti-authoritarian attitude. It's so unabashedly gothic. It's hilarious. Yeah. And it famously stars Bruce Lee's son, Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee, yes. Brandon Lee. Um, his father, Bruce Lee, died. Uh, you know, we could even talk about, if we had done our research, Bruce Lee's first American movie and final movie, Enter the Dragon. Oh, I have some info about that. Uh, which he died shortly after completing. Yep. Well, I don't want to hijack your story. I'll, <laughs> I'll let you uh, take the lead here. Uh, yeah. So, it, you know, The Crow, we, we both know it's like a, about a, a man who is murdered, comes back to life uh, to kind of get revenge after him and his fiance are murdered. Right. And he's kind of like a, a like a ghost or ghost crow. I don't know. Like, it's kind of like Ghost Rider. Yeah. Or, or Spawn. Or all these other like nineties. That's true. It is pretty much a spawn. <laughs> returning from the dead to get my revenge stories. Um, this movie was like a really big break for Brandon Lee. I, I didn't know this, but apparently he beat out like Johnny Depp and uh Christian Slater for the role. Wow, I could only imagine how good that would have been with Christian Slater as the role. Hey, it's me. I'm back from the dead. Uh, it can't rain all the time. Um uh, you killed my girlfriend? Wasn't very cool. So now you have to die. I'm embarrassed that I knew a, an exact quote from The Crow. Well, you've seen it a lot more recently than I have. But I could picture like the uh, the bad guy with like the long hair. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, the rain uh, and the rooftop battle they have at the end of the movie. I know The Crow. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I just can't quote it off the top of my head. Um, Yeah, so I feel like... This might get a little bit morbid, so I just want to... Trigger warning. We're going to be talking about there. a lot of people who died untimely deaths yeah. today. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't be laughing. Be warned. Johnny's going to be cackling his ass I'm off. Gonna, he dude. finds this stuff funny. <laughs> just kidding. It's a coping mechanism for head. Yeah, for, for him. real. Go ahead, Johnny. Uh, so what I learned was like Brandon Lee, like on the set, I think he got chosen uh, for this role because he could do a lot of stunts and stuff. Well... And let's be real, his dad is like the most yeah. famous stuntman slash actor of all time. So, yeah, they're working themselves to the bone. Like, and then, you know, there was a, a scene they had to film that involved a shotgun. Okay. Um, and what was supposed to happen was, I think it was the actual murder scene of the main character. Uh, they were supposed to, like, fire off a, a blank. And uh, apparently... The shotgun had been used prior with real bullets. And I learned what a blank actually is. Apparently, it's the same bullet housing, but instead of the tip, they'll put a uh, cardboard. Okay. Because the tip is what shoots off, and that's what hits people. And uh, so if the, even if that does, like, usually just kind of misfires in the gun and makes it a huge explosion. Uh, and if that does shoot out, it's just cardboard, so it won't hurt anyone. But apparently, a metal tip had uh, been lodged in the barrel. So when they shot off the shotgun, that piece of the bullet had shot him. Um, and no one knew uh, that he had been shot because they thought he was acting. And uh, then he sadly passed away. Um, huh. Well, I had always, and you did the research, yeah. but I had heard a different story as a kid. The urban legend was that 
he took the he took a gun and pretended to like shoot himself in the head with it thinking there was a blank inside not realizing that yeah a blank still shoots a projectile out mm. or perhaps there was some debris in there um but that's what i heard on the playground yeah you know? <laughs> i've never heard that before i always heard like the the one i heard a lot was like the scene they showed in the movie is him actually dying which i don't think is true oh it's not true. Yeah, because I had heard that too. Yeah, I, I couldn't find any info about that. Mostly I heard got like this actor's name, uh, Michael Massey, who was the person who had fired the the shotgun, which oh, probably felt awful. Like this dude was yeah, handed a prop guy. He was handed a prop gun and it literally killed someone. Um, oh, tricked into murdering somebody. <laughs> God, that's a bad day at the office. Um, Yeah, so like you said before, there's like a weird morbid connection where like, so Brandon Lee dies before the movie comes out, which was very similar to Bruce Lee dying uh, before Enter the Dragon had come out, um, which I thought was a awful connection. Bruce Lee died of a brain aneurysm. Yeah. Which I, um, you know, I knew he was like a world-renowned fighter and had fought a lot of people and had risked his life many times. And in the end, nobody could take him out except for God. Why did you laugh? I don't know. You're so morbid. <laughs> you it's, it's you set up like a like a setup in a punchline. I know it's kind it's a sick <laughs> it's a sick joke. But I mean, he did die of a brain aneurysm um over 50 years ago at this point. Um, I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, the set's cursed. This, this one guy died. But there were other certain strange occurrences that I found that happened on the set as well. Like what? Um, I would say take these at face value. I couldn't find too much info. Okay, but uh, one of the carpenters got shocked. Uh, and uh, burned by a scissor lift while on set. Wow. Uh, yeah, I could. That's there's literally that's the only sentence I could find about that. Shocked like, and burned by a scissor. So it's electrical burn. I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, a grip chuck unexpectedly went up in flames. Okay. On the set. That happens a lot on these cursed sets. Um, inexplicable fires is a reoccurring theme. Yeah, I have that as well for another one. Um, a disgruntled carpenter plowed through a plaster shop in his car. Well, that just sounds like a comedy of errors. Yeah. He, disgruntled carpenter, a plaster shop. I mean, you're asking for a car to plow through it. Yeah, so that's pretty much what I have on that. Like, it's, it sounds like there's a bunch of mishaps. Um, well, that's a good opening story. Yeah. Because it, what I find that when looking at these curses, there were so many movies that purportedly have curses or are cursed. Yeah. Um. And it always seems to stem around the nature of the films being very dark. All yeah. of the films uh, that are famously cursed have to do with death, dying, possession, demonic entities, uh, the devil, or, you know, just strange things like that. Yeah, I felt strange starting with this just because, like, I can make these really morbid connections of like, oh, the crow is about a guy who gets murdered and comes back to life. And then, you know, the guy actually gets murdered on the set. Like, I didn't know how many of those connections I wanted to make because I didn't know if that was like disrespectful or not to to that dude. Yeah, well, um, this happened almost 30 yeah. years ago, like 25 years ago. So, 
you know, what has happened has happened. But yeah. why don't we move on to your next curse? Set? Sure. What else do you got for us? This one, still a little bit morbid, but maybe not as... This one, I think there's more in the realm of paranormal. Okay. But the film The Exorcist. This is, like, super classic. Um, now, I've heard this uh, is... This movie is so cursed. It's unbelievably cursed. Yeah, like... So I, I think there's a two-hour documentary yeah. just about the way the exorcist is cursed. Something like nine people died on set. Yeah. So I'll get into it really quick here. We're like, so when the exorcist released, it was like the highest grossing film um, of the time. Uh, okay. But audience reported that uh, uh, they would have like physical reactions to it. Right. My mom um, talked about that because she saw the exorcist. Yeah. I think she was 16 between the ages of 16 and 18 when the when the movie came out and she said it like terrified her you know because she, at the time she was very religious just like everybody else she knew and she believed in this stuff this was their whole world yeah. and to have this movie come out talking about demonic possession the things that you're not supposed to be talking about and you you know you actually believe this I think all of America genuinely had a like thing with this movie because like my dad was the same way he's jewish and even he was like i saw that movie and it like fucked my day like it was like it fucked my day up. <laughs> so um yeah apparently people reported to have fainted after watching this movie uh there are a lot of reports of vomiting after seeing this movie yeah uh one woman blamed a miscarriage on this film i believe it so people already out there think this movie is cursed when you watch it by the it. way by the way I saw The Exorcist in, I, in seventh grade yeah. because they re-released it in theaters. Oh, yeah, for, with the, the, where she does like the spider walk. Yeah, and this was in 1997, yeah. and there's a scene in the movie. You've seen it, right? No, I've never seen The Exorcist. Okay. You, you can spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it, yeah. but it, this movie is it's pretty fucking scary. Yeah, It yeah, holds yeah. up. Even in 1997, it was terrifying. When Even when I just see that the, the girl's face, I'm like, ooh. And there's that. a scene in the movie where they hypnotize the girl mm. to talk to whatever they think she's hallucinating or, or she's making it up, basically. Yeah. But they want to engage the part of her personality that she thinks is the devil, I guess. She calls it somebody named Captain Howdy. Okay. And they're like, we want to talk to Captain Howdy. And she goes into this trance and she starts like growling and yeah. stuff. And her voice changes. It gets really deep. And her neck starts swelling up like a balloon. Oh, my God. And when that happened in 1997 in the movie theater, literally a girl just started running out of the theater <laughs> screaming. Ah! Ah! And I just remember seeing hair shaking and, and hands waving in the Dude. air as she like, ran screaming out of the theater 1997 that happened yeah so people were still having visceral reactions 20 25 years later yeah i remember catching a moment of it on tv with my friend and us like having to change the channel it was like some scene where like they're like injecting her in the neck with like a with a big needle and we're like oh turn this off i think that was i think that was uh that might be the scene i'm not sure because okay. i think after that happens I'm like get the fucking needles <laughs> i need to watch that movie again Classic. um so anyway I, I kind of cataloged every strange occurrence that's happened uh, to people close to the film or on set. Okay. So there were a total Ooh. of nine deaths connected to the film. All right. That's, um, uh, that's the number of the beast upside down. So there I'll were... have you know. <laughs> oh, shit. Think, uh, think about that. A night watchman apparently died. Uh, he was an on-set night watchman. 
a special effects person. Does it say how they um no met their demise? The only person I could really find info on was uh Jack Mc McGoran, I think. He was an actor in the film. He played uh Linda Blair's grandfather. Okay. Um he died one week after the release of the movie. Wow. At the age of uh, 54. Died of influenza. Okay. Well, that happens. Yeah. But like right before the movie came out. Um, so then I have here a list of other things that happened on the set. Uh, I think this is another actress, Ellen Burstyn. Ellen mm -hmm. Burstyn? Yeah. Um, she suffered permanent spinal injury uh, during a stunt when they're shooting a scene where uh, Reagan throws her from the bed. Oh, okay. In that, yeah. yeah, in that scene, she gets thrown and she like actually screams out. That's real pain that <laughs> they caught on tape there. Uh, she had a real spinal injury after that scene. Wow. So that's, I, I don't know if that's cool or not. Like, I, I kind of like the concept of like capturing realness on film, but also like it's fucked up. Oh, as a filmmaker, when you get something real, yeah. <laughs> you have to use it. Yeah. It's real. You're making a movie. You're trying to pretend and make stuff seem real. But there ain't nothing realer than real. If the person survives and I mean, if it was permanent back damage, yeah. spinal injury, I would hesitate to put it in the film. But if you're not aware that it's permanent and I'm sure at the time in the 70s, they probably didn't even have the medical capability exactly. that they have today. You know, they probably had high hopes that she would get better. I'm sure it was like they asked and and yeah. the actress or the actor was short following. of somebody dying on yeah. camera, which you should never put into a film ever. Yeah. Ever. Unless it, you're you're making the crow. Never put <laughs> I, I don't think that should ever be yeah, incorporated yeah, yeah. into a film. But short of that, I think like, dang. You know, they talk about how Leonardo DiCaprio really cut himself when they were doing Django. Oh yeah. And uh the yeah, and uh, I'm sure there's a ton of other examples, too, like Jackie Chan movies. He really gets fucked up on camera, and it just adds to the realism. Um, Yeah, so also, this one, we were talking about fire before. Uh, yes. I assume you have some stuff with The Omen, but mm -hmm. apparently uh, there was a set for the McNeil house. I've never seen the film, so I don't know what that is. Okay. But apparently... Uh, I think that's the name of uh, the, the main character. Okay. It's a, it's a mother and daughter, single mother. She lives with her daughter. She's a movie star, and her daughter gets possessed. Ooh. Uh, the whole house, the whole set for the house lit on fire while they were filming. And uh, the only thing that was untouched was Reagan's room. That gave me goosebumps. Yeah, me too. That's Saying creepy. it, I was like, ooh. That's we're like in a dark room alone right now. I'm like, ooh, I don't <laughs> like this. Um... There was a Jesuit priest named Thomas M. King. Um, okay. <laughs> what happened to Thomas King, I'm afraid to ask. No, they, they, it's funny. They brought him in. Uh, when they were filming in Washington, D.C., they asked the priest to come in and bless the set. That's how fucked up shit was getting while filming this movie. Wow. They asked a priest to come in to bless the set. They're like, we need you, Father. <laughs> Father, please. I bet everybody making that movie believed in that stuff, too. Um, and then this is the kind of the final thing I got. Uh, this one seems more of a stretch, but I thought I would just catalog it anyway. But during the film's Rome premiere, lightning struck a 400-year-old cross atop a nearby 16th century church. I heard, uh, I heard about that. Yeah. I heard that they were in the theater and they heard a big crash and they went outside and a cross had been stricken from the church next door and had fallen into the plaza right in front of the theater. And it had stood there for, did you say 400 years? Yep. 400 years. 
That's they a, brought the devil out making that movie. That's a sign. Yeah, I think so. So that's everything I have from The Exorcist. Well, why don't we go from The Exorcist to one of my stories yes. here? Um, a film called The Omen. I've never seen The Omen. Um, you know, I love The Exorcist, and I feel like maybe they're very similar. I would love to watch The Omen. But essentially, as I understand it, The Omen is about the birth of the devil's child. Yeah. A, a child named Damien, also known as the Antichrist. Um, the movie is said to, like The Exorcist, been so cursed that so many different accidents and weird circumstantial events happened around the making of this film uh, that some people say that the devil does not want this movie to be made. Holy shit. The, the main one, and this is extremely sad, but the main character, Gregory Peck, his son... Um, killed himself oh, shit. two months before the beginning of the film film uh, filming of this movie and that was the event that set off in a lot of people's minds the beginning of this curse from that point on things just continued to happen to Gregory Peck mm. and to the other people working on this film um the movie has a lot of animals in it and there's famous moments in the movie where animals attack some of the characters but in one instance um uh one of the animal handlers they had trained rottweilers on set okay and nobody knows why but the the rottweilers went into a mass hysteric frenzy stopped listening to the commands of the animal trainers and started rabidly attacking one of the people on the set, they could not get them to stop. And they said that these Rottweilers did an abnormal amount of damage to this person, like more than a regular dog should be able to do. Jesus. Perhaps this is a callback to the hellhounds. We were yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. last week. I was week. about to say that as well. But get this. One of the animal handlers who had been working on the omen one week after working on the omen was on another film set and was near a cat cage with a tiger in it. The tiger grabbed him by the head. Oh my God. Pulled him into the cage and ate him. Ate him. Like full, like whole? A tiger hunts humans for food. Okay. The tiger fucking ate this guy, grabbed him, pulled him in, and that was lunch. Okay. This right. is like, we're just, we're not even through filming the movie. The Rottweilers are going crazy. The animal handlers are getting eaten alive. Um, on the day that the, that they started filming this movie, uh -huh. the main actors got into a car, car crash, a head on car crash. Okay. Um, when they were flying, when Gregory Peck, that's just one instance. I mean, they, they survived, but, uh, it just perpetuated more thoughts about this curse. At one point, the main actor, Gregory Peck had to fly to England and his plane was struck by lightning. While he was flying into England. Two weeks later, the screenwriter of the film was flying to join him on set. His plane was struck by lightning. And not only that. I've heard that story before, yeah. Following these two lightning strikes, there's a third story where Gregory Peck was going to get on a flight in relation to this movie. But at the last minute decided to change his flight. And he didn't get on it. That plane that he didn't get on ended up crashing and everybody on board died holy shit 
The director? No. Richard Donner was staying in a hotel and was planning to go out to dinner one night with some producers and filmmakers from the set. The restaurant that they were going to go to exploded. And they don't know why. It blew up. Later on, back at his hotel, his hotel exploded in an IRA bombing. What the fuck? Um, yeah. You know, the IRA, like the, the Irish, um, I don't know what IRA stands for, but it's, yeah. it's in England, and I'm sure that people are going to give me a history lesson. <laughs> uh, off the top of my head, I don't have all the finer details, yeah, yeah. but the IRA bombed his hotel while he was there. Um, yeah, all of this stuff just kept on happening. One of the, um, who is it here? I think it was an assistant to the director. To the visual effects supervisor. Here mm. it is. The assistant to the visual effects supervisor. Um, they were in charge of creating a scene where a car crash decapitated one of the characters in the movie. Yeah. Within one year. I've heard this story before. Yeah. This assistant's wife got into a car accident and was killed in exactly the same way that the character in the scene was killed in the scene that he was in charge of creating for the omen. And he claims... He claims when he arrived at the car site of the car crash to find his wife dead, he looked up and there was a road sign for a town called Omen, O-M-M-E-N, and it was 66.6 kilometers away. So that's what he saw. His wife died and he looked up, he saw Omen, 666, on the road sign. It's crazy, like... What in doing my research, I was like, there's no way like this keeps happening in 70s movies. Like, does this happen today? And there there were like every other fucking like exorcist movie, this happens. Like people fucking die. <laughs> like they're like really? I got, yeah, I found all these lists. I didn't want to pull it, but it's like the exorcism of Emily Rose, like all those fucking exorcist movies, they all like fucked up shit happens to people. I I don't know if it's just like well, I know what movie I'm never gonna be making. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's just collectively like people just bringing in this energy or if there is some type of, you know, demon out there that fucking hates when they make these movies. I don't know. I, I think we might have to do an episode later on where we get into, well, maybe we shouldn't just based on this cursed stuff. Yeah. Yeah. De- I'm, I'm, demonology I'm scared right now. Yeah. <laughs> and talk about, uh, why even just talking about demons for Fuck. an extended amount of time might conjure one into your life. Yeah. Because I do think that that is, uh, uh, some some lore yeah. that has some background to maybe, it. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't <laughs> because it seems to point to that happening many, many times over and over again throughout uh, pop culture and filmmaking history and just regular history yeah. too. Um, so I'm that's sweating. The Omen. Yes, yeah. yes. And all of these demon movies are cursed. Do you want to talk about a movie that is not a demon movie? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Let's get, let's get the demons. Let's uh, get the demons out of here. All right. Let's go the other direction. <laughs> Passion of the Christ. Yeah. This movie came out in 2004, was directed by Mel Gibson, but famously the guy who played Jesus yeah. was fucking cursed on this movie. Jim Caviezel suffered so many tragedies over the course of portraying Jesus. He was struck by lightning. He got pneumonia. Okay. He almost got hypothermia. He was accidentally whipped. He, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on, but some of the some of the, there's quotes because he has talked about this extensively and he said uh 
For example, in regards to being struck by lightning, he was filming the Sermon on the Mount scene. He had no idea what was going on. Uh-huh. And he said, I lit up like a Christmas tree. Oh, my God. I knew it was going. There's a quote. I knew it was going to hit me about four seconds before it happened. I thought I'm going to get hit. And then it happened. He saw all of the extras grab the ground. Um, but he said he felt a giant, tremendous slap on the ears. And for a few seconds, a pink red static in front of his eyes. That was what he experienced when a lightning bolt struck him. Dude, he they, went full powder. He went full powder. <laughs> they said that after this happened, uh, fire was coming out of his head and, his, and his body was illuminated. He was glowing and on f- and flaming from the head. I didn't know you could survive that. Yeah. Um, another person on the set came and checked on him. Like, are you okay? Are you okay? That guy got struck by lightning. Holy shit. That guy actually got struck by lightning twice. You can't make a movie about demons or Jesus without getting fucking Do not decimated. Get it. You asked for some biblical <laughs> shit. Yeah. You're going to get it. Either a demon is going to set your house on fire or God is going to sling a lightning bolt down your face. Yeah. Um, they said that when in the movie, have you seen Passion of the Christ? No. I'm Jewish. That was a bad time for me when that movie came out. That movie's pretty anti-Semitic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bad time in school when that movie came out. Okay. All right. Well, I don't blame you for not seeing it. Uh, well, there is a scene in the movie where Jesus is getting whipped for his crimes and they had set up a, a whipping post yeah. strategically hidden behind Jim, the actor. But apparently the guy who was whipping kept missing the post no and just beat the shit out of him literally he said that he would have the wind knocked out of him and like giant lashes on his body because the guy kept missing the post he said that um in the scenes where he had to carry the cross on his back it dislocated his shoulder and in the scenes where he had to be crucified and erected on the cross it was like i don't remember the temperature it was like 30 knots the wind and like 50 degrees outside or maybe less. Honestly, Um, literally he said he risked getting hypothermia. He thought he was going to get hypothermia, but instead just got pneumonia and, uh, you know, just got extremely sick. Uh, Oh, pneumonia and a lung infection. He also said that putting on the makeup caused him to have persistent migraines throughout the entire filming of the set of the, film he would have to wake up at 2 a.m every day go through six to eight hours of makeup and then receive migraines you imagine you have all this makeup on you're getting a migraine you're carrying the cross your shoulder dislocates they're like all right let's tie you to the post they beat the shit out of you on this post then they put you up on the crucifix you get a lung infection you get struck by lightning this dude's cursed and then to top it all off the cherry on top his career was ruined he ne- yeah, he never got cast in anything ever again. Who played Jesus in uh, the one that uh, Martin Scorsese made? Um, I I want to say Willem Dafoe, but was it I'm, Willem but Dafoe? I'm not sure. I know I'm there sure. is a movie where Willem Dafoe is Jesus. I think it might be. Uh, I, I've never seen that movie. But yeah, I, I want to say it's Willem Dafoe. Uh, so yeah, whichever way you cut it, you're pretty cursed. So that that was the Passion of the Christ. Uh, yeah, let that sink in. Now you kind of want to see it. Yeah, don't I want to see him get struck by lightning. I don't know if they actually they used that? that in the. Oh, no. He said he got struck by lightning and then the cameras uh, panned over to him like moments after it happened. Holy shit. I wonder if so they, they have like. I wonder if that's in the bonus features. 
It was not on camera. Oh, man. It was not on. Uh, the other guy getting struck by lightning was on camera, but he's just a, he's just like a crew member. I want to see that. I You're a freak. I don't you do. You would want to see it because you love these videos of people getting hurt. I would be like, if someone put it on, I'd be like this. Yeah, and then and then <laughs> laughing your ass off yeah. afterwards. Uh, all right. What do you got? Okay, you know I want to get a little bit more lighthearted here. Please, uh, want to talk about Munchkin suicide. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my, the, the most lighthearted topic we can think of. So I wanted to get more into like urban legend side of things here, like stuff that may may or may not be true. But uh, so we're gonna talk about the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, the Wizard of Oz, like Roller Coaster of Love or Love Roller Coaster, whatever that song is called. This I had seen in a Eagle Bombs World video as well. Um, that scared me as a kid, <laughs> but, uh, this, the, the, you see like the swinging body or yeah, something. Yeah. So the urban legend goes, an actor who played a munchkin, uh, can be seen hanging in the background of a scene. Um, when, uh, Dorothy, Scarecrow and the Tin Man are going down the yellow brick, ro as yellow a kid, brick road. I, as a kid, I wanted to see this so bad. Yeah. And now as an adult, I'm like, you're fucked up when you're a kid. Why would you seek that out? So luckily I never found it. It's weird. Like, I always, I I thought this was real <laughs> for a long time until doing all this research now. But uh, the 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 story kind of goes that one of the Munchkin actors was like depressed over like a loss of a like a, a wife or something, and had decided to uh, hang himself while they were filming a scene, and you could see the body swaying in the distance uh when they're about to make their way to oz um going down the yellow brick road for the first time yeah but that's not in the film they it's in a deleted scene or something no it's in the film there's a, a ton of weirdness with this so oh. this myth kind of started okay this myth started in like the 90s i realized once mm. this was on like home video yeah that's when the dark side of the moon myth started as well exactly so I have here a photo of uh why did all these myths start in the 90s? This movie's been out for 50 years. Yeah, I think it's just because people were able to pause it. It's because the internet came around. That's exactly. Why. So this is from a TV broadcast of it. Also, people seeing it on TV, and you could see oh, in the background. God, that is horrific. Yeah. That, uh that looks really bad. Yeah, right. That's that this is exclusively from a TV broadcast. So people would see that in the background and be like, someone fucking off themselves in the distance i'll put this on the screen as okay, well okay put it on screen right now uh we see dorothy the scarecrow and tin man walking down the yellow brick road and directly above the tin man's head between two trees there seems to be a black shape which honestly it could appear to be a body mm. perhaps wearing a robe the only thing is it doesn't look like it's actually hanging from anything yeah it just kind of seems to be floating there it's more like a specter or something but you know so far off in the distance, how would you be able to tell? So there's like extra weirdness to this because once they start bringing it into like Blu-ray and HD, we can see what it actually is. Uh, it's a bird. I have heard that this, they filled the set with exotic birds. Yes. Uh, cranes and stuff like that. And I had heard that it's a bird standing up. Yeah. But, but it's crazy. Like look at the fucking difference from TV to HD. Like, that's a body. That's a bird. It's kind of baffling. Well, these are also not the same frame. Yeah. And the one on television, excuse me, the one on television looks to be very, like, way farther away. 
Um, so it, it, all I'm saying is these photos do not look like they were taken at the exact yeah. same time. They're not the same photo. Oh yeah. But it is, but it is a photo of the same set piece. So there's that. That is true. Um, what, in doing this research, I kind of realized that this kind of came to be, or this rumor kind of spawned from seeing that. And also like all the kind of hearsay that happened with the Munchkin actors. Okay. Um, I kind of fell down a rabbit hole here. I thought this was extremely interesting, but uh, there was all these kind of uh, stories that came from the set. Like uh, Judy Garland had claimed that a Munchkin had groped her. Uh, when the Which is probably true. Yeah. Uh, you know, people claimed that all the actors were having like orgies. Um, the Munchkin actors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were having orgies. Probably, because when else are you going to meet a bunch of fr frisky, yeah. uh, hot <laughs> Hollywood beach body people of your size yeah when, and, when else is that gonna happen it's like a once in a lifetime opportunity <laughs> and apparently like drinking just generally drinking a ton hell yeah because you're all munchkins uh, hanging around on set all day for hours with nothing better to do except drink and have sex and this is the crazy part i didn't know uh, this <laughs> yeah no you're making me laugh uh <laughs> a lot of these actors like the the great depression had just ended i think yeah now it's time for the great boning F fucking but I, yeah, the the original fappening. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, many of these actors were uh, getting nervous over there. Yeah, <laughs> were uh, technically carnival freaks. Uh, that's the only place where they could find a, a, a large group of little people. Yeah, back in the '30s. Yeah, and a ton of them were vaudeville and acts and and all that. And then a, a thing I never knew was a ton of these people had just fled Nazi Germany. A ton of the actors had were, were people that had just okay. fled Nazi Germany at the time. Um, and I found this interview with, uh, at the time, this man was the oldest surviving Munchkins actor. Okay. He passed away in like 2018 uh, at, at 97. His name was uh, Jerry Marin. And he, he claims that all that, that allegations about them being rowdy was kind of uh, blown out of proportion. He said, a okay, but he's, he's not saying it didn't happen. Yeah, he, he's, he's just saying it's blown out of proportion. Yeah, he said it was a little over. So over, it's like, yeah. look, we were drinking and <laughs> fucking, but nobody killed themselves. Yeah. He said it was overstated. They keep saying we were having orgies. 400 munchkins, he 50 like of them have sex. Is that an orgy? <laughs> it's, you're overstating the facts. And he said exactly what you said. It was mostly out of excitement for seeing many, uh, or, or for many of these people, seeing people like themselves for the first time. Of course. Hey, if I go to a convention and it's all beautiful people who dress up like video game characters and run around in public and do public stunts and yeah. do podcasts, I'd be like, <laughs> oh, ah, it's my people and we're partying and, you know, stuff happens. <laughs> I'm trying to get into the munchkin mindset, okay? Munchkin mindset. I'm just trying to put myself back in what it would have been like to be a munchkin in the 30s and it was probably like free love. So, anyways, I digress. Do you want to? I have some other rumor stuff, but if you want to get into the James no, no, D. no, keep going. This is good. Okay, I like cool. This. this was another thing that I had also seen in a video on Ebom's World. Is this the Lion King? Yeah. So famously, we 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 all know we're gonna, we're gonna we could do a whole thing on yeah. the perverted shit Disney has done. We all know how horny animators are. Famously, you got Don Bluth. He he draws the hottest girls I've ever seen. 
Um, yeah. You got Dr. Katz. He's always uh, getting frisky with his conversations. Very, you know. Yeah. I, I never saw Dr. Katz. <laughs> yeah. Me neither, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, famously... We're talking about the Lion King here. Yeah. Is this one, uh, it says sex on screen? Yeah. Uh, when the Lion King, as well as like what happened with the Wizard of Oz, when it was released on VHS, many viewers saw there was a scene where there's like some, where uh, Simba like lays down and yeah. like some dust comes up and it spells something in the sky. It's in the montage. I've seen this. This yeah. ain't even an urban legend. This one's confirmed. Yeah. It's in the montage where Simba is hanging out with Timon and Pumbaa and they're growing up and it's kind of just fading between these different stages of his life. You know, they're like walking and he's little Simba yeah. and then it fades into they're still walking and now he's big Simba and he gets tired at the end of it and he goes to the edge of a cliff and he's so sleepy he kind of just like collapses on the edge of the cliff and it kicks out a big gust of dust and wind. Yeah, and it like twinkles in the sky. Yeah. And it supposedly spells sex. It does. Um... You know, people saw this and a bunch of conservative activists uh, started protesting Disney, claiming that the movie studio was promoting sexual activities through a subliminal message. That's not even the worst offense. Have you ever seen the priest pop a boner in The Little Mermaid? No, but I know also on the, the I think the cover of The Little Mermaid, there's like hidden penises. And they stuff. have changed the cover because, yeah, when I was a kid, I had the VHS for The Little Mermaid and there is a fucking schlong drawn right onto the castle. What I tell you about animators, Little Mermaid's cat. Seriously, it's like a bunch of towers, like coral towers, and right there in the middle, it is like such a penis. <laughs> Even as a child, I was like, that's a wiener! But when you watch the movie, yeah, Ariel is going to get married to uh, Prince Eric. Yeah. And there's this uh, little tiny priest you know and his robes are too big for him. ladies and gentlemen and as they're approaching just keep an eye on on his little thing there <laughs> because it just like flops up and it just looks like a boner and then it goes back down and it's it's basically like boop boop it's that fast yeah they probably didn't realize that and people would be able to see that <laughs> they've always said like oh that's just his robes it's yeah. just the fold of the robes but as a kid you know and as a middle schooler me and all my friends would be like you have to draw this frame yeah. by frame. Like, you know what you're drawing. And Disney animators famously hide little in jokes with them for themselves. Yeah. Nobody will ever pick them up. And also like the rescuers down under had a, had a naked woman in it. I didn't know that. There's a scene in the rescuers down under supposedly where there's like a topless woman in one of the windows just for a split second. There's all kinds of sex stuff in Disney movies. Uh, I know, like, this isn't Disney, but I know another thing with animators being notoriously horny. Uh, I know with Betty Boop, every frame well, of her... Well, you're an animator, so you can just yeah. keep on experience. <laughs> uh, every frame of her turning, they would draw her naked, like, fully naked, because they thought people wouldn't have the technology to, like, see that. And then what, paint the clothes over her? No, they would... <laughs> so, in the, the three frames it would take to turn her around, in the middle one... Like the smear animation, they would just draw her naked because they thought it was funny. Like, no one will see us because it's so fast. They didn't know that technology would exist where people could go frame by frame because you Never need a guess you need a then. film reel to watch it. So, uh, all like every time they sh have like restored versions of Betty Boop, they have to like add clothes and shit. That's hilarious because Betty Boop is not for children. Yeah, it was never intended for children. Yeah. But then somewhere along the way, it was like, oh, it's a cartoon. All cartoons are for children. <laughs> Betty Boop was uh, entertainment made for adults. Yeah. 
Those old, uh, what was it, B- Bippy? Those Bippy cartoons are fucking scary. I mean, it's all people like boozing and drugging yeah. and trying to have sex with each other. Yeah, uh, Betty Boop's boyfriend, uh, I think it's, I think it's Bippy. There's a, a famous cartoon called where he joins a cult. Okay. You should check that out. It's like genuinely scary. We'll, um, it's we'll like have to, old Fleischer shit. We'll have to watch that sometime. Anyway, back to The Lion King. Uh, so I found that supposedly the animators had talked about this before and they claimed that it says SFX as a little nod. This is an awful picture of it. I'll put a better picture on screen. Uh, just as a, a slight little Easter egg for the animation team. So they acknowledge that there are letters yes. in this cloud. Yes. I will leave it to our viewers to decide for themselves <laughs> if this is an E or, or an, an F. F. Because let me tell you, that looks a hell of a lot like an E to me. <laughs> so it was such an issue that uh, in the when they re-released this movie on IMAX or in IMAX in 2002, and when they released the, the those platinum DVDs in like 2003, they changed the dust. So now it's like, it's just nonsense. Now, now it says fuck. Yeah, now it says fuck. Now it's just dust. Like, it's like nothing. Well, I don't like that. Yeah. So in all, like, That's even a on, bummer. on Disney Plus, like, it's not there anymore. It's that version. That's weak. Yeah, so. Why can't we just have it say sex? That's what I'm saying. It's not like kids are going to see the word sex and immediately, like, become corrupt. Also, sex isn't like a fucking, it's, it's like a way of life. It's Hey, sex is a word. Yeah. I'm not going to die on this hill. What I will <laughs> say is you're taking away something from a kid's childhood. And that is horny conspiracy theories in our Disney movies. I grew up on that stuff. Yeah. And I love the idea that there is stuff hidden in movies. And I hate the idea that if somebody discovers it, it's going to be removed. That, 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 why are we even going to hide stuff in movies then? It's counterintuitive. So... Let the lion have a little sex in his Let movie. the lion have a little sex. That's cool. Uh, I didn't know they changed that. Yeah, me either. I, I, I mean, like, I figured I was going to find that they changed it. Because the way Disney... No surprise there. Yeah, the way Disney is now, like... They already took the penis off of the cover yeah. of the mermaid. They probably, like, digitally erased the priest boner. Um, I'm sure 100%. they put clothes on the topless woman in The Rescuers Down Under. Oh, yeah. I think... Uh, there's like one movie on Disney Plus. I don't know which one it is, but there was like a butt in the in the movie. Yeah, they like <laughs> like digitally like made hair, like extended the character's hair to cover the butt. Have you ever seen that clip? No. It's like horrific. It's like this really bad CG to cover up the butt. What movie? Do you know? I don't know. I w- I could Google it, but I don't want to. It's fine. Like... It's fine. Um. Okay. And you have a you have another you have a final urban legend. I have a right? final urban legend. If you want to get into that real quick. Yeah. This one. I always thought it was really cool. And I think we could do a full episode on this. So I kind of kept it to a small section of this urban myth. But, uh, you know, famously, people think that Stanley Kubrick faked was the person who filmed the fo- the moon landing. Um, yes. And I've I've kind of seen this a lot. And what they yeah. say is um, he made this movie, Barry Lyndon. Mm-hmm. which was uh, takes place in like Napoleonic times. And he wanted to film the movie. Without stage lighting, he wanted to film it with actual candlelight. Okay. As the story goes, as I know it. And to do this, he borrowed high-powered cameras from NASA 
that could film in extremely low light. Oh, so he could light this with candles and still it would still pick up enough light to light the actors. So I don't know if it was because NASA gave him these that he was in debt to them or if he was able to get these cameras. He would have have to have it would have have to have been this because yeah. of the timeline. It would have been that he faked the moon landing and so was working closely with NASA, therefore was able to get these cameras to film Barry Lyndon. Okay. As far as I know, that is kind of how this story begins. Okay, yeah, because like I can never find I've never heard that before, and that sounds way more uh plausible than like people are always like, oh, he filmed 2001. They're like, that's real. You, you made space look so good. Yeah, well, also, he did film 2001, which came out before the actual moon yeah. landing. And he had done so much research that he got a lot of things right. For example, the fact that there is no sound in space, yeah. the way people move. Um, it was so realistic. He was the most qualified person to fake the mm -hmm. moon landing. So, yeah, you're right. It actually starts a little bit before Barry Lyndon back then. Um, but in what I found was... Uh, you know, to kind of hone it in here. Apparently, there's a lot of rumors that this like weighed on Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. And he he like wanted to get it out. So he used the shining as a way. I've heard this too. To like put little like references to him doing the moon landing. Okay. So I have a, a couple of the references here. Are you a big Stanley Kubrick fan? Uh okay. Let me think about that it. That answers my question. No, no, no. I I am. I uh I love The Shining. Uh, Doctor Strange Love is like one of my favorite movies of all time. I put Stanley Kubrick in my top two favorite directors of all yes. time, along with Steven Spielberg. Damn. To me, those are the alpha and omega of American filmmaking. I, I, I agree. One, one of them is very like pop and entertainment based, and the other one is very like avant-garde and wanting to push the envelope and and very auteur. Yeah. And you know, makes what he wants to make, which yeah. I think is pretty cool. That being said, I've kind of looked at all of his movies and I think I have something to tack on to the end of this sure. that will chill you to the bone. Oh, Jesus Christ. But go ahead, continue. Um so there was a ton. I wanted to grab like just a couple here. Okay. But uh so we all know The Shining is based off a Stephen King novel. Right. Um, in the book, um, in the, in the, hold on, let me, Stanley Kubrick changes a lot. He changes a lot in the book. Uh, there's only one child where, you know, the scene with the twins. Yeah. Uh, in the book, there's only one kid and it's not the two. two girls. Yeah. So some people believe that the appearance of the, the, the twins is a reference, um, to signify the failed Gemini mission. Interesting. Because uh, Gemini is, is twins, yes. if I recall. So that's one of them. Um, I could have explained that better, but... <laughs> no, you're good. Um, I'll move to the next one. Uh, in a shot taken... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I lost my spot here. So there's a shot of uh, Danny sitting on the carpet. I know this one, too. Yeah. So some people think that the carpet looks exactly like the launch pad... Of the Apollo. And it does. Yeah. When you look at a bird's eye view of the Apollo, it's a road that leads up to an octagon road. Yeah. And the carpet is a pattern of these octagons kind of on, it's like a line that goes, not an octagon, a five-sided one. So a pentagon or maybe, yeah. maybe six-sided. Either way, the shape is the same. The road that goes into kind of the stop sign symbol, that's kind of the repeating pattern 
of the carpet in The Shining. And so Danny is sitting on the, that carpet, which looks like the launch pad. Yeah. He's wearing a shirt, a knitted sweater that has a rocket ship on it uh-huh. that says Apollo 11. Right. And uh, and he's playing with figures that he's kind of reconstructing the scene of, exactly. a, of a launch. So there's that. I kind of, that was like two I had. I kind of mashed them together. Mm-hmm. And then this one I thought was a little bit of a stretch, but he then gets up. Yeah. And heads for the the famous room two thirty seven, uh-huh. which uh, in the Stephen King novel it was room uh, two seventeen. Right. And uh, some people believe that Kubrick changed it to two thirty seven because uh, the distance from Earth to the Moon is roughly two two hundred thirty seven thousand miles. Yeah. Um, I have a photo here of kind of all of that Oop. in relation to each other. Okay, so you can put this up on yeah. screen and you can see exactly what we're talking about here. Room 237, the room that you're not supposed to go into because that's where you'll find all the scary secrets. Um, there's one thing mm-hmm. that you're forgetting. Oh. And that is at the end of the movie, have you seen The Shining? Yes. It pushes in on a picture of Jack Nicholson at a New Year's Eve party. Mm-hmm. And it's him and hundreds of other people, and he's standing at the very front. He has his hands up like this. I never noticed this until I started looking into this conspiracy theory. Yeah. The motherfucker's holding a note in his hand. Is he really? Yeah. Oh, shit. It's, and supposedly Stanley Kubrick was so in tune with symbolism and, uh-huh. and little things like that. I was watching a documentary about this, and they lay out all of this evidence, and then they just go, and now you know the secret that was on the note in Jack Nicholson's hand. So supposedly at the end of the movie, he's his two hands up like this. You can't see this on camera. And one has the thumb. One has the thumb over the palm. It's holding a little note. And supposedly yeah. that's Stanley Cooper trying to tell you, like, I have a secret to share. Oh. You know, a secret note. I'm passing it to you. The uh that's chilling. Uh, because the other the only other ones I could find. Look it up. Yeah. Find, hey, can you find it and put it on sure. screen? Yeah. People, if you've seen this movie, maybe you never noticed the note in his hand. What the fuck is that note in his hand? Uh, that's amazing because the only other ones I was able to find were like the the other one I found felt like such a stretch. What? But they were saying you know the all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Uh-huh. They were saying if you kind of look at it, it kind of looks like it doesn't say all. It says A one one like Apollo eleven. Okay. And I was like, that feels like a little bit of a stretch. That's just typewriter font. So but this me- one, this one really chilled me. Like the the stuff with the the carpet and his shirt. Especially a shirt. Like, that's so specific. Let me tell you this. This is what I have to add to this, but it has sure. nothing to do with The Shining. Stanley Kubrick died before he could complete his final film. Yes. Eyes Wide Shut. I thought he fin- I thought it was like AI he died before finishing. AI is a Steven Spielberg movie. Yeah. So Stanley Kubrick famously took so many years to make his movies. He had two films that he wanted to make that he was never able to do. He always wanted to do a Napoleon film, mm-hmm. a film about Napoleon, and he wanted to do AI. Yeah. But he knew, I. he said, I take so long with my movies. If I were to make AI, the child actor would be an adult by the time I was done. <laughs> and he said, the only person that I think could do AI and make it quick enough is Steven Spielberg. That's cool. So after he died, Steven yeah. Spielberg kind of took on the project of AI as a tribute to Stanley Kubrick. But no, his final film was Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah which he died before the movie came out. Now, here's the thing. Read into this however you want. Eyes Wide Shut is a film about secret societies. 
powerful elite people being a member of a secret sexual cult. Uh, and at this cult, they have this meeting, they have sex with each other, and then they basically decide what to do. You know, it's like presidents are a part yeah. of this thing. Doctors, like it's essentially a film about the Illuminati. Yeah. But it never says the Illuminati. But if you watch it, there are a lot of references to light, the light spectrum, mm. illumination stuff. It takes place during Christmas. There's just like much in the same way that there are conspiracy theories about The Shining being yeah. an admission to him filming the moon landing. Eyes Wide Shut supposedly is a film about these clandestine secret societies. But as the urban legend goes, well, this is a fact. He died before the movie came out. Is that suspicious? I don't know. But supposedly the film was heavily re-edited oh. after he died, but before it was released. Which is to say that once he was out of the picture, the movie was toned down yeah. from what it was originally going to be. The conspiracy theory side of my brain says this guy was going too hard, angered the wrong people, was taken out, and his movie was quelled whatever he was trying to express was suppressed and perhaps that is tied with his deep roots to the american government and him faking the moon landing dude we don't know but stanley kubrick is a very mysterious director yes and pretty much all of his movies could be tied into some grand conspiracy theory or urban legend which is possibly one of the reasons why i love him so much i have a feeling like after he died, they're like, yo, we have a fucked up movie that stars Tom Cruise. We need to make this shit. Like, we need to. <laughs> like, they probably spent so much money the on the password movie. password is Fidelio. <laughs> have you seen Eyes Wide Shut? No, I've never seen it. Uh, it's weird. I, I like all of Stanley Kubrick's movies, but that one is very, like, weird. Yeah, I, I don't really like A Clockwork Orange. I'll say that. Yeah, that's my least favorite. Yeah. And I think that it set a, a bar for like aesthetics and at the time you know it was probably cool but yeah yeah honestly it's just kind of a little boring in the middle of it all right anyway my final story <laughs> yes. this is a big one this is a legendary curse that goes all the way back to the 50s this is james dean i want to say real quick my mom is obsessed with james dean i don't know why i don't know how Every year for her birthday, I have to get her a calendar of James Dean or else she gets mad. Wow. So she ha she's had a calendar of James Dean her like the entire time I've been born. Well, James Dean, um, he's pretty famous. Everybody pretty much knows the name yeah. and can picture the face. And they even know probably that he was in a movie called Rebel Without a Cause. Yep. Uh, and they probably also know that James Dean died at the age of 24. Mm hmm. Um, but what you may not know is how he died, which is in a car crash, uh, and that the car that he crashed in was a highly rare and, and uh, customized car, which became like a sought after piece of lore. Like people love yeah. James Dean so much. So many people wanted this car or wanted just a piece of this car. But as the story goes, anybody who came in contact with this car was cursed to have ill fortune fall upon them. So many accidents and tragedies have occurred in relation to this car, which I mentioned earlier was a car called Little Bastard, 
that there yeah. is a well-known little bastard curse. I want to put a photo of the car up here because it it vaguely resembles the car. I think it looks like a like a soapbox derby. Uh, like <laughs> I'll, we'll put up a, po- a yeah. photo of James Dean in the car yeah. when it was pristine, and we'll put up a photo of the car wreckage. Yeah, after it crashed because this car got fucked up. <laughs> Let's talk about first of all what happened to James Dean. Sure. So, um, oh wait, where did I start here? I, I uh, let me go all the way back to the beginning. It was on September thirtieth, nineteen fifty-five, that James Dean and his friend a um, factory mechanic for the company of Porsche named Rolf Witherick were preparing for a race. See, James Dean, in addition to being essentially the Brad Pitt of his day, super sexy heartthrob main guy in Hollywood, he was an avid car collector and sports car racer. Mm. And he had, um, in his spare time, when he wasn't working on movies, he had participated in amateur races and he would use his money to buy the most expensive, fast sports cars he could. He did this so often, and it was considered so dangerous that the movie studios would often put in his contract that you're not allowed to race when you're making movies. Yeah. Because we don't want you to fucking die. Uh, But he would still race anyways. Yeah. You know, because he's young, he's in his 20s, and nobody's going to tell him what to do. He had a race coming up um, in the town of Salinas, and he had just traded in one of his Porsches for an even faster model Porsche something known as uh, the Spider. Uh, when he got this car, he had it customized to have the name Little Bastard painted on the back of the car, and he put some racing numbers all over it. So, on September 30th, 1955, him and his mechanic friend are preparing for a race. The car is brand new, and they and his friend tells him, James, you don't have a lot of experience with this car and the car has not properly been broken in. So why don't we drive it all up and down the California coast so you can get accustomed to it in preparation for your race? Well, while they're doing this, they're driving all day at approximately 5.54 p.m., a black and white 1954 Tudor uh, is being driven in the opposite direction at an intersection on, uh, oh, I don't have the name of the intersection here, but it's somewhere in the middle of California. Mm. This car is being driven by a 23-year-old Navy veteran and Cal Poly college student named Donald Turnipseed. By the way, I love the name Donald Turnipseed. Yeah, it sounds like a Mega 64 character. Donald, oh, it's uh, on Route Route 41. Donald Turnipseed makes a left turn into oncoming traffic, supposedly not seeing James Dean in his spider, the little bastard. This is in 1955, and people report that James Dean is doing about 85 miles an hour going down the highway. He sees the Ford cross over the center line, and James Dean, clearly anticipating the imminent crash... Oh no. Tries to steer his spider in a sidestepping racing maneuver, whatever that means. That's what the reports say. But without enough time or space to complete the maneuver, the two cars collide head on. A witness of the crash, a man named John Robert White, reports that he saw the spider smash into the ground two or three times over the course of doing cartwheels. Cartwheels. You saw a picture of this thing. It's like no top on it. Yeah. James. It's it's like a metal tube. Yeah. 
Sad, sad to say, James Dean was fucked. Yeah, he was uh, decimated. He's, he's, he dies in the crash. He's taken to a hospital where he's pronounced dead at 6.20 in the afternoon. Uh, in the evening. So, let's... I want to rewind because one week earlier, the British actor, Sir Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan Kenobi, yep. uh, had reportedly seen James Dean on the very first night he had bought this car. Uh-huh. One week earlier. And as the story goes... um. Alec Guinness and his date were leaving a restaurant because no tables were available. And he saw James Dean out there uh, on the street who offered him to come to his house and have dinner with him. And he showed them the car and Alec Guinness, for whatever reason, because he's in a bad mood and he's hungry and he's pissed off. He says he's not going to take the ride. And he looks at the car and he looks at James Dean and he says, quote, please never get in this car. Never get in it. It is now 10 o'clock on Friday, the 23rd of September, 1955. If you get in that car, you will be found dead by this time next week. I've heard that story before. I didn't know it was Alec Guinness who had told him that. Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan Kenobi, use the force. Don't get in that car because in one week you'll be dead. (laughs) Well, in one week it was proven to come true because seven days later, James Dean did die in that car. Um... A uh, film director by the name of George Barris bought the car. Okay. Um, he recovered it for, he, he purchased the wrecked Porsche for $2,500. And he most likely wanted to sell tickets to look at the car because he, he, he instantly became famous because James Dean was the biggest star in the world. It was like if Robert Pattinson died. In a yeah. Car. Um, the car was transported back to his shop. But immediately the car slipped off of a trailer and landed on a mechanic and broke the mechanic's leg. What the fuck? Barris stripped the car apart and he sold pieces to friends in the racing community because they wanted to take pieces of James Dean's car and build them into their own racing machines. Uh, He sold the engine and the drivetrain to two men, one man named Troy McHenry and the other named William Eskrid. The two used parts, the, the two men used parts from the car to build cars of their own and were racing against each other when they both suffered mysterious crashes. Henry, uh, McHenry lost control of his car and smashed into a tree and was killed instantly. While William Eskrid said that for unknown reasons, both tires on his car locked up and caused his car to roll out of control and he was injured severely. Um, but it goes on. Two of the tires mm. from Little Bastard were salvaged from the accident. Those were later sold to a third driver, apparently having been untouched since... Dean's, uh, since the accident that claimed James Dean's life, yeah, he sold the tires to them. Both of the tires exploded simultaneously and caused that car to crash. Um, a magazine did a story about the little bastard and it reported that quote, due to all the incidents involving little bastard, um, Barris, the film director who owned it decided to hide the car because he was convinced that it was cursed. But the California Highway Patrol convinced him 
to lend the heap uh, to the to a highway safety exhibit to to show teenagers like don't drive fast because this is what happened to James Dean. Yeah. It can happen to you. Um, the first exhibit was unsuccessful because the garage that housed the car caught fire and burned to the ground, and everything was destroyed except for the car. Um, on another occasion. The car was at a high school being exhibited, but ended abruptly because the car fell off of its display and crushed a student, breaking the student's hip. It's like Final Destination. Yeah. Later on, uh, a man named George Bark Barquis was hauling the wreckage of the spider on a flatbed truck, and he was killed instantly after uh, a truck, the truck had an accident and he was thrown from it and the Porsche fell off of the truck and fell onto him and what killed him. Fuck? Yes. Uh, now supposedly all of these things kept happening. And at one point in 1960, the car was sent to a show in Miami. Mm. And when the car was shipped back to Los Angeles in a sealed flatbed, container on the back of a train it arrived in los angeles they opened the flatbed up it was empty and james dean's spider little bastard has never been seen again damn has never been seen again um a few years ago there was a museum in illinois called the volo auto museum in volo illinois they offered a reward of one million dollars to anyone who could prove that they owned the remains of little bastard Nobody came forward to claim the prize. So as of 1960, this car has not been seen. And supposedly just disappeared. Where did it go? Went into the Bermuda Triangle of, of the roads or whatever. Uh, uh, so between 1955 and 1960, it was only available. It was only out for five years. And all of these tragedies happened. And then the car has been lost to history, presumably to never be seen again. It might be for the best. Probably is. That is the story of James Dean's car, his cursed car, little bastard. And I think that brings us to the end of today's episode. Uh, yes. I do want to get into the hotline stuff at all, or should we save that? What's the hotline stuff? Uh, I made a little Google voice uh, thing for people to call in. You know what we're going to do? I think let's release some of our favorite calls on our Tuesday clip. Okay. So if you're watching this on Saturday, thank you for watching. We did start up a mega strange hotline where people could call us up and share some stories with us. We've been reviewing the entries and would you say that there's some uh, choice selections in there? Yes, I do want to say if uh, I'll put the, the number on the screen right now. Uh, if you're going to call in, make sure uh, it's under 30 th seconds. Yeah, <laughs> uh, after three minutes, it cuts off. I had people call in multiple times to finish full stories. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, keep it short. Because keep it short. Your chances of getting on our show go up exponentially the shorter your story. Yeah. Is. We just don't have time to to share a six or ten minute story. Yeah. Uh, so be sure to check out our little mini clip coming out every Tuesday on the Mega Strange YouTube channel. And while you're there, subscribe to the channel and Please. turn on notifications. Also, you can follow us on Instagram at Mega Strange Podcast, or you can follow us individually. I am Derek Acosta only. Catboy underscore slim. Yes, and we will be back next Saturday with more strange stories of this supernatural world we live in. Thank you for watching and sticking with us. 
mega strangers <laughs> and uh, keep your eyes open Ooh. for strange stuff because it's happening all around us all the time. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Good night. <laughs>